0: for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast.
1: Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to give a huge shout out to our newest patrons, Chrissy, Abby and Nicola. Welcome to the team, guys. If you want access to special content like our exclusive patron discord community, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash and Also, in case you missed it, we are doing our first ever live show on November 18th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time at Caveat NYC. Early bird tickets are $18 and patrons get a 15% discount. And for those of you not in New York, don't worry. The show will be live streamed for $10 a piece and you can watch the video on demand for a week following the event. Tickets are all available at the link in the show notes and we cannot wait to see you there. And now enjoy this week's episode covering the second half of Emma 2020 directed by Autumn Wilde and starring Anya Taylor-Joy with our guest Charlotte aka Chateau Barefoot.
0: This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to
1: talk about Jane Austen. We are here
0: specifically to talk about Emma!
1: Listeners, if you're new here, I, Becca, have read many Jane Austen novels and watched many adaptations of her novels to the screen. And I, Molly, have never done any of that, but now I am. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to listen to Molly read through Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility for the first time, you can listen to seasons one and two of this podcast respectively. But that is not what we're doing here today. No, today we are talking about the second
0: half of Emma 2020 starring Anya Taylor-Joy. And, and we, Johnny Flynn. And Johnny Flynn. And his could, booty. Could never forget Johnny yeah. Flynn's butt. <laughs> um, and we are joined again by Charlotte from
1: Chateau Barefoot. Hello, Hello. Charlotte. It's been so long since we've seen you. (laughs) I am so
2: happy to be in the same sentence as Johnny Flynn's butt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's an honor.
1: I mean... It was an honor to even look at it and to mm. talk about it. it. is one of the great privileges of being a podcaster. So, mm. <laughs> so true. Yes. <laughs>
0: um, so we did intros with Charlotte in the last episode of this podcast. So if you missed that, you should go back and listen to it because we have a lot to talk about today, and we just got to get get right into it. Oh yes, we do. So today we are beginning with spring.
1: Hey, what? <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> I don't know, but the way you were like, so today we're talking about spring. spring.
0: <laughs> well, today we are talking about spring because of the headers. You know? yes, yes, yes. So we
1: have reached the point in the movie where we are in springtime in Highbury and we get the spring header. Yes. And Harriet is in the
0: carriage with uh, Emma talking about how Elton can't stay away forever because he is apparently gone now. And she tries to read Emma some sermons from her her little book. She's like, oh, listen to this one that he said. And Emma goes, enough about Mr. Elton, please. And you can see she's just at the end of her rope
1: and Harriet panics and throws her book out into the water. (laughs) That is such a relatable moment in some ways. Emma particularly being like, stop talking about your ex. Stop talking about your ex. And then, but then Harriet panicking and not knowing what to do and just throwing her book of sermons into the. It's all just just a mess.
2: Whatever she thinks Emma wants her to do in the moment. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. And then we hear um, Miss Bates approaching and calling out, Miss Woodhouse, Miss Woodhouse. And Emma flicks the door open with one finger.
2: Oh, it's so good. It's, it's so, so good. What a choice she made. Mm.
0: <laughs>
1: I screamed again. There's yes.
0: so many moments
1: in this movie. I just screamed and they're little things <laughs> that mm-hmm. she does. It's it's all just Anya Taylor-Joy's capacity to make you feel like you are smaller than her. Yes. <laughs> and she is also a child. Yes. We learn
0: that Jane is here and we go to see Jane and everyone in this room is so miserable. Like Emma staring straight ahead. Harriet is devastated over Mr. Elton. Jane does not want to be here at all. And Miss
1: Bates just has no idea. I was so impressed by this Jane in this adaptation because I'd never seen this actress before in my life. But she's Mm. exactly how one would picture Jane. That sort of like quiet, withdrawn. She looks a little ill, but mm-hmm. still pretty, mm-hmm. like sort of vibe. She looks like she curates an Instagram in um, like rural France with her mm. child and her like husband who works in tech in the United <laughs> she States. She's a homesteader. Yeah. Like she just, she looks like it's so specific, but she looks like she's doing like farm chic. Yeah. But mm. also like she wants to die. So yeah, she, but she does. also
2: lathers in sunscreen
1: oh yeah. my god this is a girl with korean sunscreen yeah yeah she's not messing around with the skincare routine she's
0: stunning she does have a bit of sass in her like in this scene she like arches her eyebrow a little bit at certain things that are said but it's so
1: subtle that you wouldn't notice it unless you're looking for it yeah I think that this adaptation is the first time I've ever seen Jane play into Emma's little game mm-hmm. a little bit which I thought was really interesting because. Obviously, we usually get things from Emma's perspective, and usually Jane is sort of the unknowing victim of Emma's crazy bitchcracker syndrome for her. Yeah. Um, But here, it felt like Jane knew Emma disliked her, and she disliked her right back. And uh, she basically played the game so subtly that one could interpret this completely differently. It's almost like Emma is Regina George, Mm -hmm. and Jane is Gretchen
0: Wieners. Is Uh, that weird? That's not not right? Okay, I see what you're saying,
2: though. So Emma is definitely Regina George. I think as somebody who sometimes, like, will, I don't know, be, like, I'll overcompensate sometimes, and I am devastatingly jealous of people who seem unbothered by things, Mm -hmm. especially when it's, like, they seem... Unbothered in a cool way, oh, yes. and I'm like, why don't I come across as super chill? And I think to Emma, she is so jealous and infuriated by the unbotherness that Jane does so right. well in this movie.
0: Emma tries so hard, and Jane doesn't have to try to she be try equally as cool. All.
1: She just doesn't. Yeah. She just has to stay quiet, and yeah. it works so well. Absolutely, which goes to when we have Emma performing at the piano. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. And the, the funny thing about this is, you know, it took the discipline for Jane to practice and get that good. But you see Emma playing and she clearly she's fine. But she's really feeling her oats in her, this moment. She's <laughs> saying.
0: She like pauses. and She's like, uh, what does she say? She says who would inhabit or something? And then she pauses and Jane's like, is she going to keep going? A dramatic. This this bleak world alone or something like (laughs) that. Oh my my God, perfect. And she's like, at the
2: end, she just has the proudest look on her face. I love it.
1: This is the girl in high school who gets really mad that she got cast in the chorus Mm -hmm. in the musical Mm because she thinks she has the best voice in the room. Yeah.
0: And then she moves from the piano and Jane is like, stepping up to the piano she's like it's a pity you forgot your music and jane's like
1: i hope i can remember the tune and then she comes on and plays like i don't know the name of the piece but she plays as if she's playing at carnegie hall in front of like thousands of people.
2: Everyone's just, like, shocked. Like, Beethoven enters the room. Yeah. And exactly. That's what it sounds like.
1: And the look of absolute panic on not only Emma's face, but Harriet's face when she starts playing is so... Mm-hmm. Because Harriet was just like, no one plays like you do. <laughs> and Emma's like, I know, right? And then she... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then goes out of the yeah.
0: Delicious. Uh, while Jane is playing, Emma and Nightly talk in whispers about why Emma hates Jane and he kinda calls her out on being jealous. Mm-hmm. And then the next day at Ford's Emma is with Harriet. This is a difference from the book. They see the Martins, and the sisters come over and ask Harriet to come visit them. And Emma, like, gives Harriet a little nod, like, yes, you should do that. And Harriet says, okay, yeah. And then she can barely even look at Mr. Martin. She, like, runs out. And Emma sees through the window. Mr. Martin run out after Harriet and tell her, you know, which way to go. And Harriet's just, like, sobbing. Like, there's no subtlety it's on her so face. dramatic. It's I so
2: dramatic. I love it. It's so dramatic, and it's so, like... Over the top dramatic.
1: Yeah. And then he runs out after her and he goes, Miss Smith, Miss Smith. And then you look at him and he looks like a puppy that's been left out in the rain. <laughs> they both look like little puppies. Yeah. I have such a huge amount of affection for his character on Sex Education, but he's mm-hmm. just such a good actor. He can play any role, but he plays puppy dog so well. hmm so sad And it's not
2: cringy at all it's just yeah no pure. it's endearing yeah and
1: i will say this like they don't often play up the fact that robert martin and harriet have chemistry in these adaptations but they have so much chemistry between the two of them here you really like feel it and you want them to kiss yeah, yeah.
2: You, the and longing in her do. eyes and they're both tearing up a little bit Ugh. and
0: yeah Ugh. so later on emma drops harriet off to see the Martins, and she's like, you can only stay for 15 minutes, and don't bring up any reminiscences of the past, and you'll be fine. And after she drops Harriet off, who should ride up, but who we know to be Frank Churchill, who is played by Callum Turner, and they come to visit Emma with
1: the Westons and and Frank, and they ask her to come walk into the village with them. Really quick side note: This is so I do want to say this is a great Frank Churchill because I think I have this bugaboo that when we do Austen adaptations, there's always like the lead guy mm. who's supposed to be good looking and dreamy and everything, but then there's always like a slightly devious side character who you think she's going to end up with, and in every adaptation he is less charming and less handsome than whoever the leading man is. I think this is a very like nuanced, well done. Version of that because I think the guy who plays Frank Churchill is more classically handsome, mm-hmm. Callum Turner, than Mister Knightley. And I know he's a very handsome actor from other things he's been in, but the way he's styled and the way Knightley styled, like he's less appealing than Mister mm-hmm. Knightley, but not less handsome than Mister Knightley. If that he's makes sense, he's just a guy. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's just just a, a guy,
2: and he's beautiful guy, but he's like tall. what else? He's tall. He's yeah. tall.
1: He's definition of, oh, he's good just tall. skin. Very good skin. Mm-hmm. Nice eyes. Yeah. Uh, we're just admiring Callum Turner Good now. <laughs> um,
0: just to go back, did you call
1: it a bugaboo? Bugaboo. Yeah, that was cute. What
0: is? What is, is that? Like a bone to pick, but like a cuter way of saying it.
1: I think so. Yeah, I made you that up, just on made that up. Yeah, I, did I make that up? That's definitely something I feel like I've heard before, but now it's it's a term I will use. Bugaboo. Yeah, new I, merch.
0: I need. Yeah, I think so. I think everyone My... needs to start using bugaboo.
1: <laughs> bugaboo. My own bugaboo. Yeah. Um.
0: Anyway, so. Emma is walking with Frank and she asks about Jane Fairfax and he hardcore evades the question. First he's like, oh my God, look at this store over here. And then he's like, uh, she can decide for herself how acquainted we are. <laughs> and when I was reading the book, I just didn't notice how obvious he was being. But he's being pretty obvious.
2: That line alone yeah. is really obvious. Yeah. The,
1: the film adaptations always make it so difficult to... Um, avoid how stupid Emma is (laughs) yeah she's pretty dumb Yeah. then they go outside
0: and he talks about how much he loves a ball and he wants to have one at the crown inn and as they're talking there's like these chairs piled up in the middle of the road and they start dancing but they can't touch because that would be improper they're not at a ball so they're dancing without touching and like I can't tell if I love it or hate it I I think I love it I think it's hot
1: I thought it was hot It, it is hot I thought they played up the sexual tension between the two of them more than they usually do. Yeah. Yeah, because like, he's a hot guy, she's a hot girl. They like, there, there's like, they feel, She's into it. Right? And they feel like the popular couple at school. Mm-hmm. They like feel like they are like, oh, head cheerleader. Captain of the football team. Of course they
2: should be together. Exactly. (laughs) Like,
1: we know we are at the top of this town in Highbury. We own this town. We are the rich, young, hot people that should be marrying each other. Which Mm -hmm. is the only reason that she would go along with something as corny as dancing without touching hands. Exactly. Mm -hmm. He brings
0: out the um, corny we like show body side yes. of her show off like showing them to everyone yeah. because normally you wouldn't do that in public and
1: now i understand that
2: she would do anything frank, frank churchill said she in would. the moment
1: oh yeah oh yeah. yeah that comes back to bite her in the ass later oh yes. <laughs> yeah
0: so We go to the party at the Coles, and on the way in, Knightley complains about how Frank went all the way to London for a haircut because he has so little time there. Why would he spend a full day going to London for a haircut? Mm -hmm. And inside, we get this Emma-Frank-Knightley triangle.
2: (laughs) Mm. (laughs) So perfectly done. (laughs) It immediately puts Knightley worlds above. With his attitude, you're immediately like, oh, he doesn't like him, so we don't like him.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, it just clearly also outlines immediately before Knightley knows that these two are in competition for Emma's affection. And when she walks in and they both sort of gesture her at the same time, and then she walks in and then Knightley gestures for Frank to, like, take the upper hand, it's, like, such a... Kissing contest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. It's very childish. It shows
2: Knightley. Knightley's got his, like, moments of childishness that are very, yeah. I find, endearing.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And that's kind of what works is that they're both a little immature and they both need to mature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good stuff. Then there's these three gossipy
0: women that I don't even know who they are, but I love them. That. <laughs> Start telling Emma about the piano forte, and they're like, it was there was no return address. No return address. <laughs> no return address. And Jane enters at that moment, and Frank smiles so big, and she even smiles back, and Emma doesn't catch on at all. She's like, Why are you smiling? He's like, Why are you smiling? <laughs> <laughs> and then they form their plan about Mr. Dixon, which in this one, I believe, Emma plants in his head. I mean, even though he he obviously was, like, going there. But in the 1996, he plants the idea in Emma's head to make it very obvious that he's trying to cover up. And in this one, he's like, maybe it was sent by Mrs. Dixon as, like, a friendship gift. And Emma was like, what you about
1: Mr. Dixon? He saved her life. Did you know? And... Um, Again, with the popular kid energy here, like, just, like, the, the idea of the two of them in the corner talking shit, mm-hmm. it, like, makes... It, it builds the flirtation between them, but it also just solidifies how, like ickly at the top of this they all are for lack of a better word
2: well they're so similar in like their um circumstances of privilege and stuff that they seem to automatically get along and automatically feel comfortable talking Mm. to each other in that way which kind of like comes across as like major chemistry but i think they just like are very equal level yeah compatibility yeah. wise and
1: I also think they they really like they bring out each other's flaws because they have the same flaw mm-hmm. of like being a little meaner than everybody else around them mm-hmm. and if no one's there to call them on it then they're just going to be mean together yeah. and build on it so yeah
0: Mrs. Weston then comes over to Emma and says that she thinks that Knightley sent the piano and that Knightley and Jane are secretly in love and basically says everything about Jane and Frank that is true but she says it about Jane and Knightley that they're like keeping things under wraps and Mm. and that like really hit home for me this time in a way that it hasn't before that how right she was (laughs) but with the wrong guy. Mm -hmm. And then we get a weird duet between Knightley and Jane just to like drive home Mrs. Weston's suspicion. What did you guys think about
1: this? It was a weird choice. I found it to be a little out of place in the film. Long, too. Yeah. Yes, very long. I think it was obviously there because Johnny Flynn is a very talented musician. Mm -hmm. So on hearing Johnny Flynn sing, I enjoyed. For moving the plot along, I said before that the whole movie was very tightly paced. I think this is where it was slowest. Yeah. And if they wanted to make this point, it could have been a much shorter duet. But I also think it was superfluous to the entire movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, he has a nice voice, but he wasn't really showing it off in this moment. Like, he sounded fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, I know he's a singer.
1: Well, he's he's a rock singer, so he's gruff. Yeah. Like, he's, he's kind of got a folkier sound. Here. And then
2: the violin. Yeah. I think it's too long. I think it's drawn out. I think they could have done it in a little bit more of a brief way, but they definitely did the job of making Emma start to spiral a little
0: bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's one way to do it. So, then they go to church and there's someone in their pew. <laughs> someone with a a veil over her face <laughs> and even Miss Bates is scandalized. She's like, "Someone's in the in the Woodhouse's pew." And it's of course Augusta Elton. Augusta, our girl. That was yeah. also
2: impeccable casting she's so good because she's got the look of like a peacock yes the perfect way and that's what she's supposed to be this is
1: another example of casting that i was like really right and then i saw her and i was like oh she's perfect because in sex education she plays a weird girl in the school who's queer and like obsessed with writing alien tentacle porn on her free time (laughs) she's like Horny, and she can't
2: get it under control.
1: And she's like also like wears turtlenecks and plays the flute and like has no social skills. It's so funny. She's so good in sex education. And I was like, yeah. I think of Augusta Elton very differently. And she got on the screen and I was like, she is a chameleon. Mm-hmm. She is playing an entirely different role. She is perfect in this role. What the fuck? <laughs> It's the neck of the like... Yeah, she's got that neck and she's got a very low chin mm-hmm. and like the big eyes and she plays it all to her comedic advantage. She's it's, a
2: peacock. That's like her whole character.
1: Oh my God, it's so good. And the fucking curls like pluming <laughs> next to her face.
2: Pluming. Pluming. Oh my God. She's a bird. <laughs> she's got this like, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's like the mailboats boats that do it. But what's the birds that are... um um Birds of Paradise? That's mm. her. She's like all out and the neck leaves so much room for additional
1: plumage yeah it's perfect well she plays this really well and she's always got crazy hair yeah Mm -hmm. oh my god I mean this actress clearly is game for like anything
0: yeah yeah she has this like bow in her hair that's like so it's like made out of her hair Mm -hmm. oh (laughs) but it's (laughs) I am just obsessed with it
1: it's also so perfect because, like, it's a big recurring thing through the book that she keeps talking about how she doesn't want to be gaudy. Right. About how it's like she doesn't want to be over the top. People expect it. So she has to put on a little bit of fanciness, but she can't. She, she will not, not. It will tacky. not. be tacky. No. Yeah. It won't do to be too over the top in her dressing. And it's just like everything she wears is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so perfect. <laughs> Um, So she comes to
0: Hartfield and she's talking about Maple Grove and even Mr. Woodhouse doesn't like how she's talking. Like, he looks shocked, which I never thought he would. And she's,
1: like, talking to him like he's an old person, which I guess he is. But she's like, oh, you know, we went to Randall's. (laughs) It's so subtly done, but the level of disrespect where she raises her volume a bit and touches her ear to say, oh, you don't hear me because you're an old person. He is the owner of this extremely prestigious estate and one of the highest ranking people in the town. And she like treat immediately she's like doing that thing where she's like oh my god I love a cute little old man yeah oh my god we're in the country yeah <laughs> oh my god she has the Augusta voice yes <laughs> we have a thing on the podcast where like every time Augusta Elton is talking I go into my Augusta voice oh my god
2: I love it here you have chicken
1: oh my <laughs> god <So you> <laughs> animals here <laughs>
2: yes Perfect. Oh, I love so it. Cute. It's like, um, have you seen that clip of Kylie Jenner seeing a little baby pig? And she goes, is that a chicken?
1: <laughs> that is the energy that Augusta Elton brings to every moment of her life. Yeah. Is that a chicken? Is that a chicken? <laughs> so cute. Wow. No, it's actually Timothy Chalamet.
2: <laughs> like, I don't want to touch it, but it's so cute. But like, keep it over there because it's dirty, but like,
1: so cute. Yeah, that's, that's the Augusta energy that we... Feel emanating out of every performance and uh, the written word of Augusta Elton, nay Hawkins.
0: Yes. So, one thing she says after she says that they met nightly, uh, she says, I have to, you know, tell my caro sposo that he need not at all have been ashamed of his friend, which is different than the book. This yes. is such a nitpicky thing, but in the book, they say, uh, like, that's one friend he doesn't need to be ashamed of, which implies that he's ashamed of other friends. Oh, yeah. But saying he need not at all have been ashamed of his friends means that he was ashamed to be stooping to Knightley's level,
1: which Emma's just like... Ah. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. The way that Anya Taylor-Joy uses only her eyes to show that she is about to leap across the room and knife mm-hmm. her. Uh,
2: <laughs> uh, so her good. Big peepers. Yeah. She acts straight out of them. She yeah. does.
1: The whole movie actually hinges on Anya Taylor-Joy's massive doe eyes because they portray not only every moment of fury, but also like every like deep, innocent moment of sadness or ignorance. And they make you feel like she's a little kid even when she's being brutally mean because she's got these big eyes and she's
2: like, oh, I didn't do anything to anybody. Mm -hmm. I also think that Augusta um, does a really good job of objectively you're like, oh, she clearly like belongs to be in the um, house, the Woodhouse's home that is like very decorated and with all the good treats and stuff. But then she immediately shows that she's not actually like, worthy mm-hmm. of being there because she doesn't know how to talk to people mm-hmm. in a way that is, like, fitting for the class that she claims to be in.
1: Yeah, and she's absolutely, like, she screams new money, yes. but it's a show, not tell the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then we get Emma walking down this, like, picturesque little space
0: Grassy stairway, um, and she's complaining about Mrs. Elton to Harriet when Mr. Weston comes to tell them that Frank is returning and they can finally have their ball. And then we oh. get Harriet and Emma with their curlers in, practicing <gasps> dancing together. That may have
1: been my favorite scene in the entire movie. It is. It's so sweet. I
2: agree. I want to get. Um, like a, a a big poster board of that picture for my wallet like just it's warm tones and yeah. it's cozy and it's dressed down and it's beautiful and it's girlhood it's yeah. so
1: girlhood it's so friendship it's so um it for me it was the scene that really like tied together Anya's whole performance of Emma because you could as I've said read her as just being this like unbelievably mean-spirited person. But in that moment, when she's pretending to dance with Frank, you see how... This is her little fantasy world she's living in, and she's bringing Harriet into it. And the, you be Frank, you be Mr. Churchill, Mm -hmm. I'll be me. And then they're, like, practicing the dance together. It's so beautiful. It's really sweet. And they're just, like, having
0: a sleepover and, like, getting to be kids. Yeah, Yeah. And they're
2: wearing the same thing, and there's no competing with extravagance. And it's just, like, raw and beautiful. Yeah.
1: And, like, for... I think that the dancing is like the sexiest thing Jane Austen has. And she brings to the forefront. And this movie got that. Mm-hmm. And yes. having this little scene to build up to the dancing was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So then we get the ball. And we learn that Mrs. Elton is going to have to dance first. And she is so good. She's like, must I go first? <laughs> Don't
1: make me say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Emma is pissed at having to go second. Then she and Frank dance, and Mr. Elton, while the dance is happening, sits next to Harriet, notices he's sitting next to Harriet, gets up and Mrs. Weston is like oh like you should dance with Harriet and he's like well I don't dance
1: also perfect that he's holding Augusta's shawl this entire time <laughs> I yeah. didn't notice that so perfect you can see w-
0: the regret in his
2: eyes
1: yeah there's always like this question of whether or not Elton is happy with his choice of spouse and this movie really answers the question to be no I think it's up for interpretation in the book and in other adaptations but here like it's very clearly like oh regret 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 yeah <laughs> Yeah, and when he snubs Harriet, she cries.
0: Yeah, and then we get an angelic choir coming in, or like, or like this like angel music for Mister Knightley walking across the ballroom to ask Harriet to dance. The
2: sexiest scene in cinematic history, because it's nothing to do with actual romance, but it's it's a man being
1: emotional
2: and emotionally intelligent and in touch and no pride is present it i i want them that that's the man
1: dreamboat behavior
2: that's yeah truly yeah. dreamboat Boat behavior. behavior
0: yeah and i would be remiss if i did not point out mrs elton's little shimmy during this dance <laughs> so perfect she's an icon and a legend oh god um <laughs> So after this dance, Knightley and Emma are standing together in an alcove, and Emma admits to being wrong about Elton, and it is, this moment is so charged between them, and a lot of their moments throughout this movie are just very sexually charged, and they have their little moment. Mr. Weston comes over, tells Emma that she must dance, and Knightley says, who are you going to dance with? And she says, with you, if
1: you'll ask me, obviously. She's like, we're not so brother and sister <laughs> that we can't dance together, and he's like, I guess you're right about that. And then as we were watching this for the first time, Molly and I were both like on the edge of our seats because for like at least 45 seconds, they're not really touching. Mm-hmm. They're just like in the group together doing the like roundabout stuff. And Molly and I were like, are they gonna do the dance? Are they gonna do the desire? Are they gonna do the dance and the desire? <laughs> And oh boy, do they. Boy, do
0: they. They get so wrapped up in their desire that they almost get knocked over by the rest of the dancers. They're like standing there staring at each other and then everyone's like, oh my God, this, the
1: the hand touching, like this was the the moment. The behind the back. Mm -hmm. And And his hand on her waist. Mm -hmm. I had to like take a beat when we were watching it for the first time and just like run around Molly's apartment because I was like, it's the yearning. (laughs) It's there. And
0: he's like, they both realize in this moment how in love with each other they are. I think, so one qualm that I've had with the movie is that there
1: isn't a lot of, that we don't get to see Emma change her mind about Frank. This is the biggest flaw in the movie, I think by far, is that they they garble how Emma feels about Frank, the entire story, because... They build up a lot of Frank Churchill, and then on the back end, they don't do the work of being like, oh, she no longer has feelings for him. Right. Yeah. Um, That is, if I were going to have one big flaw in this movie, that is number one.
0: I agree that that's the only thing. Well, there's two things that I didn't like about this movie. That's one of them. (laughs) But um, I think that this moment, if I had to pick a moment where she changes her mind about Frank, it's obviously this one, because the dance ends, and... He's like, "Holy shit." And she's like, "Holy shit." She leaves and he chases her carriage home. <laughs> no, 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 no. no, no wait, wait,
2: wait.
1: Okay, 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 okay. Okay, 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 okay.
2: <laughs> so, okay. First of all, he had the whole time they're dancing, he has this like look in his eyes where he ha- he has a look of knowing. It's like a mixture of like knowing and like and a- I don't have daddy issues, but I can imagine if somebody who did watch this, he has this look of like, oh, this is happening Mm -hmm. the whole time they're dancing, but also being like a little shook at just how happening it's going to be. But like, she's like, is this fucking happening right now? And he's like, oh, it's happening. But then at the end, he's like kind of like caught off guard. He's like, oh, oh my God, wait, this is happening. And him her looking in, sorry, though, though <laughs> the window so of the carriage and she's sitting there and he runs up and he's like, Emma, Emma, and she looks and then boom, she's gone.
1: That's when I screamed. Yeah. Oh my God, it was he, him running after the carriage. For me, like they, it was like when they danced, they were transfixed by each other. They were in a spell together. It was almost like having sex. Like yeah. they were in their own world, just the two of them. Mourning. Spell got broken. She kind of shakes it off and goes into the carriage and she's like, what just happened? What just happened? He's still there and he's like reeling because he's like, what happened? My best friend. And then he sees her go. And like, it's one of those moments like he is so propelled forward by his own heart, his gut, other parts of his body, maybe. And he just like (laughs) runs for her and they make eye contact. And, you know, it is on. It is. Freaking on, and man. then it gets completely shattered by Frank and Harriet. Yeah. <laughs> but it's
2: so good because it's like it's the dream. It's what you want to happen. It's Mister Darcy walking across the field. It's mm-hmm. like he's oh. making the executive decision. Well, I wouldn't even say it's executive. It's so subconsciously driven for him. He like can't stop himself. Yeah. But it's like, oh my god, wait, we like. I love you so much. I ha- Where are you? Don't go. Don't go. Don't go. I'm, like, chasing after you. Yeah. Like, that's
1: what you want to happen. Chasing whatever spell just happened. Yeah. Like, you need to know what just happened between the two of you. Oh. Right. And she sees him
0: from the window. And this is why I think this is, like, obviously she's in love with him now. And that Frank is, like, by the wayside. Because she sees him. And she's, like, oh, my God. And she runs out to him. And they are about to say it.
2: They both know. They know. And you can tell she knows. Like, at first... It's a little bit unsure of how she, like, feels about it, but her running down to meet him in the drive it is, like, her knowing. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. And then, of course, Frank runs in carrying Harriet, who's screaming. She kind of is,
1: like,
2: moaning this
1: it's, whole scene. It's so sexual. Yeah. It's so sexual, especially when he's, like, massaging her leg with the cramp. She goes, ah!
2: Yeah. I would say that's a part of the movie that I don't dig I don't dig her choices or if that's what she was told to do.
1: It was I think it was certainly like a director's choice there because usually like Harriet's all like dazed and confused in yeah. that moment. But like clearly there was they there was a use of sound in that moment that was a choice.
2: Yeah. It was over the top and it was drawn out and I got uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, it was a little uncomfortable and I think that the timing of like her being so dazed and telling Emma that she is in love again like obvious. I obviously Emma's gonna think she's in
1: love with Frank who she was just moaning in the arms completely, of completely and the but like also nightly massages her and gets very close to her face mm-hmm. right so, he does do that completely <laughs> reasonable from Emma's perspective to think that in that moment it's Frank because he did just carry her into the house like yes very very reasonable, and I also think this is interesting because, like we've been talking about, and we didn't really we only touched on this the fact that Emma knows so soon that she's in love with Knightley because it's obvious in this adaptation. In most versions of Emma, she is still in the dark about her own feelings about Knightley, mm-hmm. so it is it makes for a very interesting um, change to the story to have Emma in the know about her own feelings at this point.
0: Yeah, it does, and I think that it works in later scenes Mm. very well. Um, This scene is hilarious because like Knightley and Frank are in competition with each other still. And they like run out and Emma thinks that Harriet's in love with Frank. So she's don't go. And they come back and she says, Mr. Churchill. And Knightley's like, what? And then um, when she tells him to go like sound the alarm or
1: something. He's like, "We'll both go." And
0: he, His so voice good. cracks. And then,
1: mm-hmm. and then, Mister uh, Woodhouse comes in. They send for Perry, and then comes, I would say, the other favorite part of the movie for me, which oh, is Knightley yes, 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 yes. dealing with his feelings <laughs> by stripping down to just shirt and pants mm-hmm. and lying on the floor with his hand over his face and having Bartholomew and Charles just be like, "Okay," and then they just close Santa, the doors on him. Here. I mean our king is so dramatic we love a dramatic king I love him someone
0: sent us a <laughs> screenshot of the soundtrack for this mm-hmm. movie and the song that plays while he wallows is called Mr. Knightley is destroyed because
2: yeah. <laughs> he, is. he is he's on the floor
1: man's is on the floor. I do that all the time. Yeah. Do it's w- beautiful. Do you watch Avatar the Last Airbender at all?
2: Um, years and years and years okay, ago.
1: So, this lo- this is a reference that's going to be lost on Molly, but there's this scene in season 2 where Zuko does one nice thing and he angsts so hard about it that he gets a fever. He like he's so dramatic that he almost sends himself into a fucking coma. That is the level of drama <laughs> we're dealing with from Mr. Knightley here. And I love it. <laughs> well, I love it because he
2: appears to be somewhat in touch with his emotions, but also doesn't know how to deal. Yeah. Can't deal.
1: Our uh, dear friend Zach came on this podcast a couple years ago to talk about Pride and Prejudice. And he said something about Jane Austen works that I think about today, which is, the conflict in every Jane Austen work is the the society holding down everyone's emotions. Yeah. And you can really feel that in this scene with Mr. Knightley. He has Mm -hmm. to be
2: alone in a room on the floor and nobody can witness it.
1: Except the servants who just close the doors Mm -hmm. because they're like, delicately, we know what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And then we
0: get a scene of... A few of them playing cards and Mrs. Elton convincing Mr. Knightley to invite them all to Donwell. Ooh, hard watch, too. Yeah. She's so cringe. Very cringe. And he's like, she wants to invite all her own guests. And he's like, only one woman can invite guests to Donwell, and that's Mrs. Knightley. And you see Harriet and Emma both kind of go, hmm. Mm. Hmm. And that brings us to summer, the final season. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love in Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. Emma is popping a strawberry into her mouth so sensually, and Mr. Knightley is watching her and they're making direct eye contact. Mm. <laughs> and then they both just like snap their heads away from each other as if
1: it did not happen. But we all saw it. Oh, yeah. Oh, Porn. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Pornography. Exactly.
1: Truly. The st- type of shit that Mrs. Elton writes in Sex Education. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: But then, like, later inside of Donwell, Harriet and Emma are standing together and Knightley comes over and asks Harriet to come look at a specific view with him. And Emma's like, hmm. she's,
1: in that moment, she's so, like, crestfallen because she yeah. thought Knightley was going to come up to her. Another new choice. hmm So smart. Yeah. Distraught.
2: I like, um, that was about to sound so terrible. I was going to say, I love how this movie, how they break her in this movie.
1: Mm -hmm. It's so good because the whole story is her being humbled. And this adaptation takes that task so seriously. It's great. They just keep punching her in the face. It's great. Yeah. Then
0: suddenly Emma is left alone in the room with Jane. And Jane asks Emma to tell everyone she's
1: gone home. This is one of my favorite moments in the book and they don't go for the like lines exactly but the the essence of the moment when Jane is exhausted by her own life is such a it's such an important moment for me in the story. And I don't know if they did the build up to this as well as I would have wanted them to but the actress who plays Jane sells this moment for me so hard. Mm-hmm. She's just so broken by exhaustion of having to deal with Augusta Elton and her aunt, aunt Frank, and Frank. Fucking oh, Frank. Frank. Oh, Frank. And you just feel how hard her life is. And you see Emma realize for the first time that Jane's life is not perfect. Mm-hmm. But
2: that just like Emma's not the only person in the, on the planet.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Oh,
2: that, that it's not a game.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think yeah.
0: that this... Like, this actress does a great job and this scene is really great. But I do agree that the buildup was not as much as I would have liked. And also post-reveal of her and Frank, I feel like there's not... Um, we, we lose the yeah. reconciliation between them and also learning about everything that she went through and how like much it hurt her to see him yeah. flirting with Emma and and. All of it, I feel like it's a little lost in this one. I would agree with that. Which is sad, but they focused on other storylines and that has to happen when you're adapting.
1: Yeah, I think it's actually um, something I've been noticing. It's kind of like in Pride and Prejudice, I find that shorter adaptations really shortchange Wickham Mm -hmm. and Lydia, Mm -hmm. which is to me a huge problem because that's a huge part of the story. And they really give uh, flowers to Jane and Bingley. I find that in Emma adaptations, Frank and Jane stories often shortchanged in favor of Harriet and Robert Martin. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why that's the case. Maybe to downplay whatever like the competition is between Knightley and Churchill and Darcy and Wickham in these other stories. But I've always found that to be the case, particularly in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. And in this adaptation of Emma, it is, I would agree, a huge flaw in the story. Yeah, um, in the film, but what they chose to prioritize. Well, I think it's a confusing storyline. I, I don't,
0: not to yeah. talk about Pride and Prejudice, but for this one, the Jane and Frank storyline. When I was reading the book, confused me, and I think that for movie adaptations that are being made for people who potentially haven't read the book, sometimes it's easier to dumb down the storylines that don't necessarily translate as well to screen. like m- screen or the modern era. Like yes. Like, why did they have to
1: keep it a secret, blah, blah, blah. Like, all of these things that are confusing. And they really tried to tie that together in this one. They had, like, these long speeches about how his aunt would disinherit him, Mm. if he didn't marry wealthy. But they don't really tie together that to why he was keeping it a secret, that he was engaged to Jane, and why he was flirting with Emma so much without giving too much away. I think other adaptations might do a nicer job of this, but it's hard in a two-hour film. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think they definitely prioritized... Emma's journey with discovering that her and Jane um, aren't fighting the same fight that she thinks they're fighting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that becomes kind of like the priority. And they do that really well in like a very short little moment with Jane um, where it kind of like it's major reality check and they they like show how much it impacts her almost immediately. But I agree that like, I mean, we already said like Frank gets a little flubbed In general.
1: Yeah. Even with his,
2: like, his relationship with Emma and how that quickly shifts just with one dance with Knightley.
0: Yeah. So Emma, speaking of Frank, is looking at a statue when Frank arrives at Donwell. And he's in a bit of a bad mood, but he was, like, really angry in the book. And he's not as angsty, as I
1: recalled him being. He's being a whiny little putz here, honestly. (laughs)
0: Yeah, but, like, I didn't even pick up on it the first time. And Emma, for some reason, like, was snapping back at him, like,
1: calm down. I think it was meant to portray that she was not as into him as she used to be. But again, they needed to tie that together. There's, like, a moment it shifts for her where she's no longer into Frank, but they never explicitly say it.
0: Yeah, I wish she just, like, told Mrs. Weston or something, like... But she can't tell Mrs. Weston until Frank gets engaged, so – and there's yeah. no inner monologue, so it really is – the people on our Discord were saying it's all being told through her eyes yeah. because there's no voiceover, there's no
1: dear diary, there's no Mrs. Weston to talk to. And, like, they can't – like, because usually if this were, like, a modern adaptation, you would have her, like, like place a hand off a of- like if he puts his hand on her, she'd maybe like pull it off of her and be right like, mm. but you can't do that here because they can't touch. So it's it's a difficult task, but I think a crucial one to establish that she no longer feels for Frank Churchill. And the way they do it in the ninety six is you get her inner monologue as she's writing in her journal. It's a little heavy on the nose, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think there was they they did so many of her inner monologues so spectacularly in this movie. I would have loved to see them try a little harder to make us understand that she didn't have a vibe going with Frank Churchill at all.
2: They made they completely relied on her facials for that whole yeah. like, exposition, and they and that simply is not doable by the best of actresses. I think yeah. that they definitely needed some sort of
0: interaction.
2: Example. Totally.
1: So. Box Hill the next day. Uh, You got this. Always, always the worst (laughs) scene. But this one was actually particularly bad. Because Miss Bates cries when Emma says the thing.
0: And they also, they change the line a little bit to make it even more cutting. Yeah. That she says, um, when have you ever stopped at three? And it's just like so mean. And you see it immediately on her face. Like, oh, fuck, what have I done? Mm -hmm. And Mr. Weston tries with a very poorly timed joke to bring it back. As hot as he is, he fails. Yeah, yeah, he's so sexy, but he tried so hard and it didn't work. Major
2: dad energy trying to save her from this
1: terrible, terrible mistake. With a little fun joke. Mm -hmm. About how she's perfect.
0: (laughs) And Knightley's like, well, how can we top perfection? I guess the game's over.
1: Yeah. The other thing that's never totally clear in different adaptations or in the book is whether or not everybody else picks up on it as heavily as Emma Knightley and Ms. Bates. But here they make it really clear that the entire party is ruined. They abandon ship. Exactly. Yeah. They just get up and walk away. Ms.
2: Elton pissed.
1: Yeah. If Mrs. Elton is judging you for your life choices of being too mean, yeah. you have misstepped Rock egregiously. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And when Knightley
0: comes to yell at her in their famous fight, she fights back a little bit. Like she's like trying to defend her choices a little bit more than she does in the book and in other adaptations or the only other adaptation that I've seen where she's like talking over him and saying, it's too hot. I just want to go home. Like she didn't even notice. And he obviously tears her to shreds. And then she bursts into tears and Emma's not,
1: yeah, she screams, go! Go! (laughs) She's not used to having to feel her feelings, but it's just... Yeah. (sighs) The scene of her going to say she was sorry to Miss Bates I think was, for me, the most humbling moment I have ever seen in an Emma adaptation ever. Oh, yeah. Because you could feel how excruciating it was for her, and it was another one of those moments where they successfully told the story through Anya Taylor-Joy's eyes because she just... You could see them like slightly well up and like this little kid who, you know, did something really wrong and wants to like say she's she's sorry.
2: Genuinely like devastated. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But neither of them wants to acknowledge exactly what happened. So like Miss Bates says that Jane is unwell and she says, I am so sorry, Miss Bates. Tell Jane I, you know, send my well wishes as if she's not saying I'm sorry about what I said. And Miss Bates says, you are so kind, but you are always kind, Miss Woodhouse. And that's kind of like her forgiveness. It's a really tender moment. It's beautiful.
2: And I think Miranda Hart does a really good job of like portraying a character that clearly is like just heaped with insecurity but cares so much and like just loves people and adores everyone and gives everyone like the benefit of the doubt at all times and you can see that her biggest insecurity is being perceived as taking up too much space or being too much and i think everyone's felt that before mm-hmm. and then everyone has also had the feeling of like saying something when you're just like you know immediate regret and so it's a very like relatable interaction on both sides Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and i think i personally have been on both sides where i have said something that's hurt somebody's feelings and i have had somebody say something to me where my feelings get hurt i think i would always uh, prefer to be miss Bates than emma in that situation but also i think what was so powerful it was such close-up shots of their faces you could tell how intimate the moment was and how vulnerable it was You could feel the hurt still emanating off of Miss Bates. Like, she wasn't over it, but she was forgiving because she could see how upset Emma was. It was so intense.
0: Yeah. When she returns, Knightley is at her dad's house, but we don't get the makeup scene between her and Knightley where he, like, acknowledges that she went to apologize. He just is like, I gotta go goodbye. He does say she went to Miss Bates. Her dad says that, Mm -hmm. but Knightley doesn't really
1: he just says "Uh,
0: (laughs) because he doesn't know what to do with the information.
1: We didn't talk about this, but there was that scene where she's sobbing on the windowsill. Yes. Mm -hmm. And her dad comes over and she
0: says how terrible she's been and how much she regrets it. And he just sits down next to her. And it's It's just sweet, really
1: sweet. It really is like one of those like gut moments of like like because you it's the scenes where you get more self-awareness from Mr. Woodhouse um in these like adaptations are so powerful because to see her take care of her father the entire time and then take a moment to um for him to take care of her is is always just like oh it gets me
2: yeah it's the moments where she like once again is very childlike and just Miserable teenage girl vibes, yeah. And her daddy is coming to give her a hug, yeah. It's
1: very sweet, or in the Regency era, sit gently by her while <laughs> she yeah. cries. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, um, so it's about to heat up. <laughs> um, we find out that Frank and Jane are engaged, and we have the, the scene that again I don't really feel is earned where Mrs. Weston is like, Oh, but I thought that you would be sad, and I was like, No, I don't care, it's not about me, but um. We get that scene and Emma goes to tell Harriet and this is where it starts to depart from the book in, I think, I think mostly almost all good ways, Mm. beginning with Harriet telling Emma that she thinks that Knightley might love her because he was talking to her about farming and he was talking to her, like saying, are your affections engaged? And Emma was like, well, maybe he was talking about Mr. Martin and she's like holding it together. And Harriet turns around and says, "You think of Mister Knightley for yourself again." Smart girl, sharper Harriet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for me, this it felt almost like I was watching a horror movie. Like I was like, <laughs> oh, "She's figured out what's behind the closet." And Emma looks shocked, and she's like, "No, like I, I, he would, I, he would never." lead someone to believe that they he loved them more than he does so if you think he loves you and harriet goes i refuse mr martin because of you the tables have turned
1: really that is a piece of the book that has never like been explicitly said out loud people who have read this book and watched these films for years have always known that emma miss harriet leaves mr martin for emma But to hear her say it out loud in an adaptation of this book was shocking and devastating. Like for Emma to be like, I have fucked this girl
0: over so royally.
2: Well, I think it's also so refreshing because otherwise, if we don't give Harriet like the ability to like voice a little bit of her feelings and opinions, then she just like is a little doll that Emma gets to play with and so to get her emotions riled up enough where she can kind of like outburst like that makes her so much more of like a realistic character that like has a foothold in the story and is not just kind of like a little NPC sidekick side character totally
1: it allows her to sort of grab back the power in a dynamic where she has no power and it is powerful in that way. There's certain other adaptations where that may or may not happen. And I will not, I will neither confirm nor deny where that might happen. But all I will say is um, <laughs> we're gonna have fun in certain other other circumstances as well. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. So Harriet leaves,
0: slams the door, and Emma, I think she was at Harriet's because then she's walking home, I think, to her house. And Knightley is walking out of her house. I think that's what's happened. She's not going to
1: Knightley's house right now, is she? No, I think I took it to be that Harriet was at Hartfield, but then Emma needed to take a walk to clear oh, her see, head. Oh, I see, But I could be wrong.
0: But then Knightley came to see her, but she wasn't there. So then he sees her coming, and he parkours over a wall, <laughs> and he comes to her, and she's crying, and he's about to tell her how he feels, and she says, don't say it. And then he turns around and then he starts crying. And then she's like, no, no, no. If, like you want to tell me as a friend, you can. And this whole scene is pretty much exactly the words from the book, which I really appreciated because there are
1: certain other adaptations that. If I loved you less, I might be able to talk about it more is crucial to any adaptation of Emma. It's- I want to get a tattooed on the back of my eyelids. It's so oh. good.
0: <laughs> it's so, it's so good. good. You go to sleep each night. That's what yeah. you see. Oh my God. Um, That's the
2: most romantic thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And to get it from a man whose eyes are full of tears and he's like his voice is breaking and he oh god it's Ugh. so good
0: he, he when we we filmed ourselves watching this part for our patrons because they specifically requested it and i watched the video back and i mouthed it along with him ah! unknowingly <laughs> it's just so good and so he, he really hits every point and it's so beautiful and so exactly what i wanted and then emma's nose starts bleeding <laughs> This is
1: a wild, wild moment of this film, and I think, like from what I know, like the most famous moment of this film.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, besides the strawberry.
1: Oh yes. yeah, the strawberry moment is <laughs> great. Mm. So, I mean, my understanding is that the director found out Anya Taylor Joy could nosebleed on command. So, is that's... that
0: medically possible? I don't know. <laughs>
1: So, so one of our patrons told us that and then
0: later messaged and said, I'm not sure if it was that she could on command because they read an article. But in the article, she said, I was just so in the moment that my nose started bleeding.
1: Oh, my God. That's so much better.
2: Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I don't care if it's true. I like it.
1: Because like if she if her nose just spontaneously started bleeding and they just kept filming, that's great.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, She gives a little gasp and then it's like she's bleeding. And I felt like I was in a horror movie again. Like, that's what happens in, like, Stranger Things. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's going to start, like, floating above the... Yeah. yeah. Um, but then she does something even stranger, but something that I think we have different feelings on. She says, I can't marry you. Harriet's in love with you, and she thinks that you're in love with her, which is something she hides from Knightley throughout the whole book or the whole yeah. last part of the book. And I always felt a little bit icky about her not telling him. And we've discussed, like, why it would
1: be weird for her to tell him. Yeah. I think in this context, it makes a little bit more sense because she's rejecting him for Harriet. But if they got together and then she was like, by the way, Harriet likes you, I would think that was a breach of girl code. Totally. Mm -hmm.
0: But in this case, it was like she says, I don't want to break her heart again. I've done that too many times already. And... So I think it's in this way—it's
2: the lesser of two evils. Yes. Yeah, and I also would argue: Do we expect Emma to always meet uh, the standards of girl code?
1: <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh, I mean, <laughs> dating Knightley in general is clearly breaking girl code. But <laughs> I was saying, like, because this this came up in the debate where, um, in a debate Molly and I had on the podcast, where Molly said, "I can't believe she didn't tell Knightley," and I was like, ah, "I feel like it's the nicer thing to do to not tell Knightley in this circumstance." But
2: I don't think it crossed her mind whether or not it was the right thing to do.
1: Well, yeah, not in this adaptation. No, 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 no. But in the book, she like he always is like, I'm so glad we're so honest with each other, so open. And she's like, yeah, except Harriet's in love with you in the back of her head. Yeah. But I'm glad she doesn't tell him in the book version where it would be very embarrassing for Harriet. But here it makes sense because then they resolve it on Harriet's behalf. Right.
0: And I have to say that something that happens in the book is that Harriet talks ill of Robert Martin very recently to this and makes Emma think that she could never love him again. But in the movie, this movie, Harriet just said, I refuse Robert Martin for you, like giving Emma the hope that maybe Harriet does still love Robert Martin and could go back to him, which then when Knightley suggests that they go to
1: Robert Martin and tell him to propose again, Emma's like, I got to do it. Just a completely uh, new ending to that scene. But one I think Is more in line with modern sensibilities, maybe? Yes, exactly. Like, it felt more like something that could happen. And
0: I like that she doesn't accept him necessarily, but she – her agreeing – She's like, we'll come back to this. Yes, and he (laughs) takes that as a total win, and he does this, like – he's, like, in the breakfast club. Like, he puts his hands in the air, and he's like, yeah!
2: (laughs) I think – okay, I have so many thoughts about this scene. My first one is going back to the quote of if I loved you less, I might be able to talk about it more. Oh, so good. I love how that is so um beautifully representative of and I don't even know that this was like the intention but of how repressed feelings were, like we were talking about earlier, how your your friend had the had the moment where they talked about how like all of Jane Austen um, adaptations are just about like repressing feelings.
1: Oh yeah.
2: Um, And it's like, it's very on the nose, but in such a beautiful way of like a guy who just like, it, he's like, he doesn't even, he doesn't have the words to express it. He doesn't know how, and it mm. wouldn't even be appropriate to express it. He's just like so full of everything. And then also I love her breaking point where she just like becomes, I, I see it as like, It's very childish the way that she like suddenly has this like tantrum and she's like holding this bloody handkerchief and she's falling apart. But I love it because it's like one of the first times that she is like so fully, totally honest and she's very raw and vulnerable and she's not trying to put on this air of like trying to be a lady in front of Knightley so he sees her as mature. She's just like falling apart and I think he loves it and he eats it up because he's like, this is the Emma. That like I bicker with all the time and she's just like totally open. It's
1: also like a moment in the story where her character development comes full circle and you realize she is trying so hard to be a good person. We don't really get this in the book, but it gives you a moment where Emma has to sacrifice something she wants for the sake of somebody else's feelings. And that gives you the the full brunt of character development in action as we see at the end of this movie. And I think the combo of her being completely honest with the man she loves and rejecting him specifically because of her friend who is lower status than her, it gives you more of a journey for Emma who starts, I would argue, in this movie, meaner than Emma starts in the book. And ends more selfless than Emma ends in the book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's just like a, it's a broader journey for her, a longer one to get from A to B. And it all culminates in a fucking nosebleed and Johnny Flynn having the bluest eyes in the world as he (gasps) professes his love to you. It's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then we get Emma bringing Robert Martin
0: a goose and the (laughs) picture of Harriet and confessing to him that she has made his life miserable and like her, her best friend's life. And, and she wants to make it right. And it's very sweet. And then that of course leads to him proposing to Harriet and Harriet comes to tell Emma that she has accepted Robert Martin. And this scene made me cry this morning when I was rewatching it. Oh. Um, Harriet comes, she's got tears in her eyes, and she says, I've accepted Robert Martin, and you can see she's trying to be so brave. And Emma says, then he is the most fortunate man of my acquaintance, and she tries to hug her, but Harriet won't hug her. And she says, I've heard from my father, he's a tradesman in Bristol, and he's coming to Highbury next week. And she's, like, so nervous that Emma is going to reject her friendship because she's now – notably lower status she is no longer the potential daughter of a gentleman and, and that like, is what happens in the book right mm. and she's got tears in her eyes and emma says then i hope you will bring him to Hartfield." and then they both burst into tears and so did i it's and then they hung. so
2: beautiful it's so
0: beautiful
2: this is a good girlhood movie man it really is it's like yeah it's emma realizing what her priorities are and that they've been wrong the whole time mm-hmm. yeah
0: Oh. Yeah, oh. And then Harriet goes outside and she finds Robbie and they kiss
1: and they, they run kiss. through the fields. It's so sweet. It's a nice kiss dude. It right? is. A it nice is. Nice he takes kiss. his hat <laughs>
0: off. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs>
1: he's just so cute. He's
0: a, he's a cutie pie. He's so cute. <laughs> so then we get Emma, Knightley, and Mr. Woodhouse sitting and reading. Don't
1: forget the screens. And the
0: screens. And Emma and Knightley keep looking at each other and Mr. Woodhouse is like watching them looking at each other. And he goes... Mr. Knightley, do you feel a draft? And Knightley's like, No, I can't say that I do. And Mr. Woodhouse goes, Hmm, pity. And Knightley goes, Uh, yes. Wait a minute. I, I feel a chill. And he says, Great. And he tells Bartholomew and Charles to get the screens, the biggest screen they can find. And they put it in front of Knightley and Emma so that they can have some privacy. I love that Mr. Woodhouse like, knows. And he's like, what a, Go what for a it. Bro in he that really moment. is. Yeah. He, um, so they're sitting hiding behind the screens and Knightley says that he's going to move in with her. And she's like, you would give up all of your independence? Give independ- up the Abby.
1: Yes. And then they make out. Nothing is sexier <gasps> than a man giving up his independence.
2: <laughs> I would like to clarify, they don't just make out. She gives him a little peck, mm-hmm. which is like power move. I love it. And then he smirks and then he grabs her chin and turns. Turns it towards him. He looks and... like. No, go, go. Such tell a me. good kisser.
1: I... Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> he's got his, like, you can tell he's got, like, calluses on his hands. Yeah. And he very gently, like, touches her chin to, like, turn her mm. It's mm-hmm. so good. Mm. And you're close up, too. You're getting the whole the side eyes and everything.
1: It goes on for a while, too, which tells you, like, I. And I think that the director wanted me to feel this way. I was like, are they gonna fuck? Yeah. Like, are they is this with is there the gonna be a dad s- in the room. That's what I, said. I was like, is there gonna be a sex scene in this movie? <laughs> Behind the screen. Yeah. Eep.
0: Um, Bartholomew. And Bartholomew and Charles mm. are standing there like, uh, and they turn around and just let oh, it happen. It's so good. Um, which brings us to their wedding, which is bookending the whole movie. It started with a wedding, it ends with a wedding. Um, Emma looks gorgeous, and Mr. Knightley's standing in the front, like, looking so nervous, Ugh. and Bill Nighy is crying, and he gives Knightley this little nod, like, of approval. And... I would also
2: like to say that the the music transition during the little ma- mini makeout session to the to the wedding is the my favorite part of the whole soundtrack uh, because it come it takes the whole thing full circle like it's very very dainty when they're sitting on the couch together and it's very reminiscent of like the the early early morning scene in the very beginning mm-hmm. and then it takes it into like emma's theme and it's so uh, beautiful and perfect. oh my god i love that keep going
0: wow <laughs> no perfect um we see around the the pews, we see John Knightley sobbing, which is the best thing I've ever... That,
1: that, I mean, he was barely in this film, but the actor who played John Knightley really just, like, solidified this as, like, an incredibly important movie in my heart because him crying when they got <laughs> married was, like... That's character development, baby. Mm-hmm. Chef's kiss. Ugh. Mm-hmm.
0: I did have to note that Mr. Elton says innocence correctly, and he's like much more chill about his sermon as he's giving it than he has been for the whole movie. Because there was one moment during the movie where he like shouted something random, and Mrs. Bates stood up. And <laughs> yeah. they were like, no, no, not yet. Um, so he's just been like really absurd the whole time, and he's kind of finally Over toned it, it down. Oh. And then Emma Knightley, take hands. And Emma closes her eyes and we zoom in on her face and then that's the end of the movie.
1: Ooh! It's so good! <laughs> it was so good. Phenomenal. Oh, man. So that brings us to Becca's standby study questions for the movie, starting with best line delivery. So I have a couple. Okay. Three.
0: I have three. So the first one is a combo of Elton and Mr. Woodhouse in that first scene where he goes, man's great in a sense and... Mr. Woodhouse goes, inner sense? Innocence, no? Well, and then he just like, kind of shrugs. <laughs> um, another is Mrs. Miss Bates saying, to think that Jane may have perished. And Emma just, it's kind of, it's a nonverbal line delivery, but her little, hmm. And uh, Knightley at Box Hill saying, is Miss Woodhouse sure she would like to know what we are thinking of?
1: <laughs> <laughs> My favorite line has to be uh, John Knightley and Isabella uh, core, which starting with John Knightley's entrance into the story and Mm. going, that was unendurable. (laughs) And then later, when the baby farts and (laughs) Mr. Woodhouse goes, send for Perry. And John Knightley said, no. And Isabella goes, send for Perry. I love that. Perfect. Perfect. Also, Loki shouts to John Knightley, uh not um nonverbal line reading being um him stripping down and dramatically throwing himself onto the floor and covering his face because he can't deal with being sexually attracted to Emma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yes.
2: I would like to say I loved the line of Mr. Knightley taking his pants off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good line. Yeah, that yeah, 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 was line, a really good line.
2: delivery. Um made me tear up. But I I always (laughs) go for the professions of love. And I got to say, if I loved you less, I might be able to talk about it. More.
0: The That's, way he stutters over the if, he's like, if 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 I loved you less, I might be able to talk about it more. He does.
2: Like, he does his stuttering and his teary-eyed. He does, like, emotion really, really, really well, which I think is so beautiful because, like, Mr. Knightley doesn't necessarily seem like such a vulnerable character when he's so put together. Ugh. But, like, his more rugged Mr. Knightley mixed with being so emotionally intelligent Ugh. makes him being a romantic love interest so much more compelling. Totally. Because I feel it, girl.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is, I think, the best line from the book and to have it delivered so perfectly and emotionally with uh,
2: like whisper tones because they're so close together.
1: Beautiful. Notable changes from the book. Um, I guess I'm going to start with the most obvious, which is Emma being the one to make amends between Harriet and Robert Martin. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge change from the book and one that while I like the uh, exploration that Jane Austen does in the book I think makes the story a more heartwarming one um, and one that really ties together Emma's character development with a nice bow. Mm -hmm. Um, I have an
0: addition and a removal. Okay. The removal being uh, that we don't get to see Emma change her mind about Frank which we've talked about extensively already and uh, my addition being that I actually believe Emma and Harriet's friendship in this She's just, like, such a better friend to her, and they, we really just get to watch their friendship develop and watch her grow and, like you said, rearrange her priorities. Mm-hmm.
2: I would like to say that I do wish that we had a little bit more of Emma's family with Isabella and John, and I wish that, like, we got to understand... Um, I don't know, because it explains to me a lot about her when her sister has more exposure in the book it explains to me a little bit more of like her dynamic and like why she is the way that she Mm -hmm. is and i also appreciate like john and um mr knightley's like relationship a little bit more and stuff because i think it just like gives background but i think that every like addition that they made in the movie makes it like very unique and stand out as an interpretation because i i get tired of like movies just competing to be as like accurate as possible. So I think Emma period does a really good job (laughs) of like adding a little period. Yes.
1: Yes. I think that does set it apart in a great Mm -hmm. way. Um, Best and worst parts of the movie. Let's start with worst. We'll start with the, um, the negative before going to the positive. Um, I'm going to say the worst part of the movie was as you just said in the adaptation sort of portion, um, garbling Emma's feelings on Frank, um, important part of the story totally dropped the ball Mm -hmm. not ideal yeah so i wouldn't change this for
0: anything and i love it all the same for it but the nosebleed really took me out of things Um, (laughs) oh interesting i just like her nose started bleeding and i was like what is happening and so i was kind of lost for the rest of that scene Mm -hmm. on my first watch In retrospect and watching it a second time, I didn't mind it as much, Um, but it was so absurd in the moment. Those things happen, so I don't dislike it. It just took me out of it in the moment. Yeah,
2: I would say worst part of the movie would have to be. I definitely don't think that the singing between Mr. Knightley and Jane Fairfax um, was totally necessary. Um, I do like his voice, but it was, like, really drawn out, and that is, like, the time when I will, like, get up to go pee or, like, get up to go get, like, a glass of water because I, like, yeah. don't really, it doesn't give me anything. Yeah. Um. And I think the best part of the movie is the two girls dancing the night before the dance because, to me, it's, like, the perfect example of, like, Emma and Harriet being friends that we get when, like, Every other time that they're together, it seems like Emma's got this act that she's putting on. And it's just very girlhood. And I'm very into girlhood right now. It's like, Yeah.
1: I mean, it is a perfect girlhood moment. Mm -hmm. I would totally agree with that. I think there's so much to like about the movie. So what I'm going to say is something I don't think we have talked enough about, but it's so good. The style, Mm -hmm. the design, Mm -hmm. the particular smart way in which between the music, the set, and the costumes – we are transported into a very specific world that is not exactly Regency England, but is this heightened, imagined world of Regency England where we can play around in this story and understand these characters so easily through the visuals and the sound cues that when they come to us, we know exactly who they are. Emma, we know exactly who she is. Augusta Hawkins, exactly who she is. And it just happens so immediately because this is so smartly designed as a movie Mm. that it makes it enjoyable to watch even if you're, I think, not a Jane Austen person. That's... Mm
2: -hmm totally true because i feel like a lot of times when i tell people i like period dramas they're like oh my like they get drawn on and they're Mm -hmm. really long and boring and they everything they say is like kind of confusing Mm -hmm. because they use like funny words and stuff but this movie does such a good job of like poking fun at it and turning it into a fairy tale Mm -hmm. that it's digestible for people so like i would suggest to anyone who like doesn't quite like period dramas. I would still suggest them this movie because it feels like almost like a fantasy fairy tale movie. Yeah.
1: I think that this usually, if someone I'm looking for a gateway for someone into Jane Austen's works and this era, I usually suggest the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. But this one might top the list of like mm-hmm. easily accessible movies to get you into this whole world. Well, yeah. it's so
2: relatable. Mm-hmm. Like every character is like a person that you know in real life. Yeah. Like everyone knows a Miss Bates.
0: Yeah. Oh, Everybody
2: yeah. does. Like, I can immediately think of people at the top of my head who I adore, who like I perfectly would like match them with Miss Bates. Yeah. And like everyone's felt like Emma, maybe back in like middle school, mm. but like everyone's felt the everyone's been that she Emma. Feels. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's been like a little bit of a Harriet. Everyone's everyone in the movie is a real person.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that was my who wins, but I'll say my my favorite part is. Uh, anything that Bartholomew and Charles do, they're not so perfect. funny. Um, but
1: for who, who, or what wins the movie? Mine was the set and the costume design, and just like the overall style. Uh, who wins the movie? I'm gonna say Anya Taylor Joy because, in all honesty, she's not my favorite. Written Emma because she's so mean, but she delivers the entire inner monologue of Emma, the Jane Austen character, through her eyes in a movie where she is written to be so deliciously awful Mm -hmm. that you could hate her, but because the performance is so good, you simply don't. So I have to give it to Anya. I
2: would say I think that the, like, specifically the comedic actors in it, like Miranda Hart, who plays Miss Bates, um, Bill Knight, even uh, Mia Goth at times, like, the people who are, who their main character's job is, like, obviously... They have like deep moments, but like they are so much comedic relief and they do it in a way that like I feel some movies try to be silly and funny interpretations of Jane Austen. Like um, I I don't even want to like get started on the newer persuasion, but like there are moments where humor is used in these movies in a way that completely takes you out of it, but they manage to make it totally fit in like Miranda Hart. I never could have pictured her in a Jane Austen film, but she brings comedy to it in a way that feels like it totally makes sense in Regency England, but is also relatable and it's it's impressive.
1: Yeah. All right. That is this episode of Pod and Prejudice and our coverage of the 2020 adaptation of Emma with a period at the end. So Emma, period. For next time, we will be covering the first episode of the BBC 2009 adaptation of Emma. So get ready to talk about that guys uh molly are you feeling good about this yeah i i loved this one i hope that they're all as good as this (laughs) yes charlotte thank you so much for joining us do you want to just plug your socials for the end of this episode one more time
2: sure thank you for having me i had so much fun i love it here um my handle on everything is chateau barefoot chateau like a french mansion and barefoot like the wine and everything else can be found in, like, my link tree on my Instagram.
1: All right. Awesome. excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, that concludes this episode of the show. Until next time, stay proper. And do you want to think of fun?
2: And find yourself a Johnny Flynn.
1: Just mm-hmm. do it. Yes. Yes.
0: and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.